0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org.
1: Well, today's daily reading we were reading this morning and it ties in with my message. In, in Job, the 31st chapter, the Bible says, how many of you have real Bibles? Hold your Bibles up in the air. Hallelujah. Look, isn't that a beautiful sight? I love my Bible, don't you? This is your Bible. Read it, underline it, mark it, study it, enjoy it. But Job 31 verse 15 says this, and I I don't have it up on the screen, so you may want to just turn there. Uh, As I was preparing this morning and uh, I was here early in the morning praying and doing the daily reading. Uh, all of a sudden my phone just started beep, 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 beep. And all the people that read their daily reading are sending me texts saying, did you see this? Did you see this? Especially those that knew my message today. And it says, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Boy, I'll tell you what, you know, that's such a powerful statement. Did not he who made us in the womb didn't, isn't he the one who made us in our mothers, in our mothers? And uh, today I want to be talking to you about a very important topic. I call it facing hard issues and taking responsibility. And uh, we're going to be talking about a, a very important subject that I think is timely. It's in our newspapers. It's been in our newspapers for the whole year. Uh, there's been an incredible amount of foreign funding that has come into our nations. Uh, in excess of $60 million has come into our nation to Uh, try to change our way of life, to change our laws, to change the belief system of our nation, and uh, press and newspapers, uh, the uh, magazines, the television, we're being bombarded with information. Some of it's disinformation, you know, and uh, I think it's important that you and I understand that there are agendas that are being driven by people outside of our country and we have weak-minded leaders in our nation, many of them, that would sell their soul for the price of a little trip around the country and a per diem and a couple of trips to the bar. They would vote for just about anything. And uh, they don't have the care or the interest of the long-term future of our nation, in fact, many of our politicians can't see past next election. And the point is that they're not living for a vision. They're living for themselves. They're living to just get what they can in their pocket. And we need to challenge that. You as members of the church need to challenge our politicians. You need to challenge your members of parliament. You need to speak up now. Now's the time to speak up. And especially on these critical hot-button issues. Amen. So I don't know if you saw in the newspaper, but Pastor Bonnie and Imelda were Amelda Tsumba... Pastor Imelda, were invited by the first lady. Imelda wrote a book, and it was on the subject of abortion. And somehow the first lady read the book, she took the book, and she says, I want every high school woman, every high school child to have a copy of that book. Imelda, are you here? Where's Amelda? Pastor Bonnie, are you here? Come. Just come up here. So Pastor Bonnie and Imelda, just come. Where are they? Where's Pastor Imelda? Come on. Come on. Come on, give her a good hand. And so the two of you had an amazing day at the girls' high school. Come on, come on over here. At girls' high school. And uh, it was quite a powerful moment. Uh, The whole all the press jumped on it, and uh, we have a little clip. I'd like to just show you this little clip. It's a little brief uh, clip of some of the things that happened there. Can we just show that?
2: This week, we witnessed a moment in time that will forever be etched in history. Pastor Imelda Tsumba was recognized by Her Excellency the First Lady Auxilia Munangagwa, for addressing the pertinent issue of abortion in her groundbreaking book abortion has consequences. The First Lady, who is the country's health and childcare ambassador, urged society to advocate for life, saying that the life of every child needs to be preserved, including the life of an unborn baby. She said she believes that every child has a destiny that needs to be protected. I believe that as a nation We should protect the life of every child, including the life of an an unborn baby. I strongly hope that there is divine destiny for every child. To quote the Bible in Jeremiah 1 verse 5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. I ordained you to be a prophet the nation's end and of court. We can take the same ways and say, a future today could be tomorrow's First Lady, Professor, Minister, Pastor, Author, Teacher, and Mistress, or even the President. Pastor Bonnie was also honored at the event. She ministered in song, and urged the girls at Marlborough Girls High not to succumb to the pressure of abortion. She urged society to preserve life as it is the gift from God that needs to be protected. I want to
3: encourage you, life is precious. And at the end of the day, two, one, three, five, 20 years later, you say, please God, I did not have abortion. Because life is precious and God knows. So we want to say to you, be encouraged. He took it to the cross for you. There are churches, there are people, there are institutions, here. Sue, Sue, Austin, I know there are people everywhere. you the president's wife who loves you and wants to encourage you. Do not. Do not.
2: The Primary and Secondary Education Minister, Professor Paul Mavima, was also at the event and advised the schools to use the book as a resource for their students, especially adolescent girls. Today, I just want to say thank you It was a wonderful event that will forever be marked in time. We commend the First Lady for taking the stance that preserves and protects life.
1: These are very bold steps that our ladies have taken, and not only the first lady, because this is not a popular stance. The stance of, of society today is that, you know, it's a woman's choice, she can do whatever she wants with her body, and, and, and that that life inside of her is only a blob of cells or something. and. That has not been the tradition in Africa. Africa, we do not have a tradition of aborting our babies. That has not really been the tradition around the world. It's just something in the modern age that has crept up. And it's become a, a, an epidemic in, in the world today. It's also become big business. Many of the aborted fe- fetuses are used for uh, your cosmetics. They're used for uh, all kinds of... Uh, ingredients in foods, flavor flavorizers and things like that, and if you don't believe me, go do your own research. But the, the fact of the matter, it's become a very, very, very big business, and, uh, you know, we just don't flush these, toilet, these, these babies down the toilet. We're actually using the fetal tissues, uh, and they, they, they say it's for science, but it's not all for science. Some of it's just pure greed, so we want to commend our ladies we want to commend the first lady I want to commend Imelda for writing the book thank you and uh, I want to I also want to commend my wife because they are all very outspoken leaders in the country that are saying that this is wrong amen uh, there are other voices and I want to commend them as well and today I want to take time to just talk about the topic of so thank you, ladies. Thank you very much. God bless you. You can take that with you. Thank you. Give them another good hand, okay? Now, I think that every one of us that are seated here today either know someone that has had an abortion, uh, or we may have had an abortion. Uh, maybe we are complicit in either telling someone to have an abortion or assisting someone in getting an abortion. Or you yourself have had that personal experience of having an abortion. So in no way are we here to condemn anyone, but we are here to talk about truth. We will talk about women that have had abortions, and we will talk about the tragedy of abortion, because it is a life, and that has pretty much been proven. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the backlash in the West now, but now there seems to be more and more science and more and more information, and people have pushed the envelope too far. The United States of America passed a law that said that you could have a late-term abortion. In fact, up until the time of birth, one governor went so far as to say that no, even if you don't want that baby after it's been born, just let it lay on the table and die. But this is, wickedness that's gone too far. And we love, And we. Can, I'm not here to sensationalize, I'm not here to try to make this a major issue. I'm, here, here's what I am to say. That we have an opportunity in Zimbabwe to be a light. We have an opportunity in Zimbabwe because we have a very strong constitution that we can uphold the laws that we already have. We don't need to go any further than the laws we have. It still protects certain rights. But we don't need these Western values of late-term abortion. We don't need these Western uh, lack of value, I should say, that are trying to creep in by agendas that are being driven by people that don't even really know or care about our African values, our family values here in Africa, our Christian values. But one one of the things that we're finding, and one of the things that I find in ministering to men is that often we... Kind of look at women and we say, well, you had an abortion. But we forget that it also takes a man to impregnate a woman. And often we think that only the woman, because she had to have the abortion, she had to get, she, she aborted the baby, that she's the only one that suffers. But the truth of the matter is that we have a lot of men that are suffering as well because of what they did the way they treated their girlfriend or their wife or that unwanted, whatever they thought it was, but it was an unwanted baby. And I'd like to just reflect a moment. Let's just watch this video.
4: My story is best started, I think, by saying that I'm the father of five. And... Um, but only got to raise three of them.
5: I was a foreign exchange student my senior year in Germany, and fell in love with the country, and also fell in love with a young lady. And through that relationship, there was a time that she came to me and told me that she was pregnant.
0: I was actually in shock and awe to find out that she was pregnant. I didn't believe it at first.
5: I found out that my high school girlfriend was pregnant with my child when I was 16 years old. Too young, and there were other things that we wanted to do and probably didn't weigh the decision too heavily and said, well, I think there's a thing we can do to take care of it.
4: The first two um, didn't do anything wrong that I didn't want to raise them. They didn't have a chance because they were both aborted.
0: I um, was strongly encouraging
5: her not to keep the baby. So I remember uh, the whir of the motor and seeing these, uh, these tubes that were being filled with um, red and, and white and, and the sound of suction. And
4: I uh,
0: knew the girl was pregnant, but I didn't know what to do. I was adamant about it, you know, to the point to where, you know, I was going to offer to pay for it.
4: And with the help of a friend, she went and had an abortion. The moment that I found out that she had an abortion, I was
0: devastated the weight of guilt was just so overwhelming for me and i was just terrified it all stopped
5: the room was silent and they said we're done it was a success
4: it was later in the evenings as i would go to bed i began to cry and even though it's been decades um since the first two were lost um obviously there's still an emotional place that comes up. The depression that I went through for such a long time over it really, really set in. It didn't just mess me up, it messed her up as well. Mentally, emotionally, we both started drinking heavily, which we didn't do much of at all. We both started using drugs, which we never did at all. I continued in a lifestyle of um, medicating with alcohol, marijuana. I just continued to just sort of push that pain that I had felt initially away.
5: It it was too easy. It was too quick. I wish that someone had been out in front of that Planned Parenthood, willing to just offer information and alternatives. I wish that there had been opportunities to know about other choices.
0: And there was just something profoundly that hit me that was like the wind was blowing and I immediately had this epiphany.
5: I would encourage anyone who's thinking about terminating a life to see if they could seek out and talk to someone who's been there before. So I called her on the phone and I told her, I said, look, you need to keep this baby. Who's been able to say, this is what it means to me five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And I said, I'll be there with you
4: you know, every
0: step of the way.
4: I would just encourage them to go and get with someone safe. Meet with another guy, meet with some others that would be able to let him share that story and do it in a way that they would be compassionate, understanding, and uh, not in any way shaming or guilting him more, but to let that burden out. It wasn't all wine and
0: roses after the fact, but, My son's eight years old, and uh, he completely changed my life. And I'm so glad that I didn't choose free will and, and make that mistake.
1: So it's not just women that suffer, it's the men that suffer. We all suffer. Our society suffers. When we lose babies, when we lose children, we all suffer. And one of the things that we have to understand is that by denying it or by legalizing it it still doesn't take away the pain that people are suffering with. I'm always shocked at how We can be so clinical, and many of the reports that are coming out are, you know, kind of couched in this where we have the best interests of the woman at heart. If we just get rid of the baby, it'll take care of the problem. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't take care of the problem because we're only dealing with the physical side of the issue. There are deep psychological, emotional, sociological scars that are left when we abort our babies, for both men and for both women. Today's not to talk about abortion as much as it is to talk about what can you and I do? What must we do in Zimbabwe at this time? What must we do in this hour if we're going to bring about the kind of life that we want to live and preserve life in the nation? Many of you have stories, and I'm going to share a few stories with you today. Right now, I'd like Pastor Taz to come. We have a personal story right here in the house, and uh, Taz, you just come and share your story. Thank you, Pastor Tom.
6: Eleven years ago, um, my sister was doing her final year in uh, university, and uh, unbeknown to us, uh, she fell pregnant, and uh, whether she was terrified of, you know, the response from the family or what she went and told her boyfriend at the time that this is what's happened. Well, the gentleman wasn't interested and he asked her to take care of it. And not only take care of it, he said you'd pay to take care of uh, the abortion. Fortunately, she went and shared it with a cousin of mine that she was going to go and have this procedure done, but she was wrestling with the decision. Well, my cousin got a hold of me. Needless to say, I responded in the wrong way. I blew my top. Uh, But before I phoned my sister, I called Pastor Bonnie, and I said, this is what's happened. If nothing happens, I feel like I'm going to drive to Blue and, you know practice being an African man properly. (laughs) But um, Pastor Bonnie asked to speak to my sister on the phone. And she spoke to my sister. And she said to her, well, she prophesied, she says, well, this child's not here by accident. Uh, And there's God's purposes on this child. And then she said, uh, the child would bring life. Well, that talk helped my sister make the decision to keep my niece. And I just want to show you a picture of my niece. She's 11 right now. If you can show that. That's my niece and my sister. (laughs) But the story doesn't end there. Uh, Four months after my niece was born, uh, my mother had... uh, strokes and a heart attack in seven days and when she had the final stroke the second one the doctors literally washed their hands and said well prepare yourselves you know uh, this there's nothing more we can do for her i uh, called pastor bonnie again and i said well this is what they've said and pastor bonnie prayed for my mom but after she finished praying Uh, Literally by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we decided to get pictures of my four-month-old year niece and her other grandson, uh, who at the time was five. And we put the pictures in front of her hospital bed. She was still conscious. And I remember we said, Mom, if you want to go ahead and die, go ahead. But these are the gifts that you're living. Um. When my mother came round miraculously, she said that what kept her alive and kept her fighting were the pictures of her grandchildren. And she was one of them. And she wasn't supposed to be there.
1: So truly, that little baby brought life in more ways than one. And uh, no, it wasn't easy to keep the child. No, it never is. but. Uh, There's a benefit to all these things. Nyasha, testimony, is an 18 year old woman who ran away from home with a young man who told her that he loved her and that they would be together forever and that he would look after her. She says, coming from a rural family who were very poor and without a father to provide for them, she trusted his words and came to the city. They lived in a room at his grandfather's home for a time, and she soon became pregnant. To start with, all seemed good, and the fellow continued to promise her he would care for her and her growing baby. One morning, he seemed a little agitated and told her that they had to go into the center of town urgently to meet someone. She was almost seven months pregnant now, and moving around had become more difficult, but she agreed. When they got to town, he said that they were meeting his friend in First Street. He had her sit down on a bench and said he was just going to check that his friend had not gone to a different venue to meet. She had no reason to believe that he was not telling her the truth. After an hour, she became a little anxious. After two, she began to worry. After three hours of sitting in the blazing heat, alone, tired, dehydrated, and fearful now, she realized that he was not coming back. She began to weep. And an older lady approached her, heard her story, and suggested that there was a church in one of the suburbs, Highlands, somewhere that, was, that may be able to assist her. She had no money for a combi, and so she asked for directions and she began to walk. She reached the church after several hours of walking to find that they had no answers or options for her, but suggested that there was a place in Avondale and the people there may be able to help. Unbelievably, but mostly because she had absolutely no options, she began the walk to Avondale from Highlands. She arrived finally after 8 p.m. that night. Knocking on the middle gate of the place after so many hours of walking and crying and just trying to keep moving forward in some way, she wondered what response she would receive and if anyone was even there at that time of night. A security guard opened the gate, told her she should go away as no one was here that could help her at this time, and she should come back tomorrow. She told him she had nowhere to go and didn't know anyone, so she would just sit here at the gate and then wait for the morning. The guard called me, and in a very distressed voice, asked me if I would please come back to work, as there was someone here who needed help. I resisted. My kids were all in their pajamas and had settled in for the night. I said he should ask them to come back tomorrow. Something in his response to my request, however, made me reconsider. I loaded the kids in the car and we came back to work. When my lights landed on the reason for my late-night outing, my breath was literally cut short by the sight in front of me. This tiny girl, tear-stained face and exhausted eyes, Looked about, as, uh, looked about as vulnerable and pathetic as anyone I'd ever seen. I jumped out of the car, went to introduce myself, and asked her the reason for her late-night wanderings in the streets of Ferrari. As she told me her story, the tears flowed for both of us, and I knew without a doubt that this was a divine appointment, and that we would walk this road together. Hugging her and feeling the swollen belly under her jacket was surreal. We made space for her in our home and in our hearts, and she finally delivered a beautiful baby boy, Tanashi. Words can't truly describe the joy we all experienced welcoming this little man into our world. She gave birth naturally and recovered well. When Tanashi was a few months old, we were able to help Nyasha reunite with her estranged mother and stepfather. Baby and mother moved back into the family home. We helped Nyasha to start a small business that she could contribute to the home. She is now studying in the afternoons with tutors and doing well with her studies. Her dream is to become a nurse and to help other people. She is so smart. We know she can achieve anything she sets her heart to do. She is a wonderful mother to her little boy who is thriving and so loved. Is her life hard? Yes. In many ways, her life is hard. She cannot do the things that most 18-year-old girls are doing, and her future choices must always include a little boy's best interests. Her reality is very different to her peers, and sometimes that stinks, but she is full of hope for the future, for herself and for her son. She has regrets, certainly, but none of those relate to the little man who calls her mom. Amen. <clears throat> Just a few facts. As of December thirty first, two thousand and eighteen, there have been some four point, 41.9 million abortions around the world in this in this last year, since since December of thir- thirty one. The world the the the, the world the reveal th- that's 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 by worldometers. By contrast there have been 8.2 million people that have died from cancer in 2018. 5 million from smoking and 1.7 million have died from the HIV AIDS virus. That is more than the entire, (coughs) the, 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 the number of people that have been aborted is more than the entire population of Canada. Imagine if in one year, every single person in Canada was put to death and another and on top of that another 5 million see globally just under a quarter of all the pregnancies that is 23% were ended by abortion in 2018 and for every 33 live births 10 infants were aborted each unborn baby already had their own unique dna making them a distinct making them distinct from their mother that's what you have to understand that the the person on the inside of you isn't you it's not the woman when they say it's a woman's right to choose if it was her it would be her right to choose but the dna is the combination of the man that she was with and herself and it's its own unique entity we have to be wise what we're doing here's another little girl she says i'm 23 years old and i've just finished my bachelor's degree i come from a poor background being raised by a single mom as Dad left the family when I was young. Life wasn't easy for us. We literally had to work for every food that we put on the table. When I got enrolled at university, my family wasn't able to afford my fees, and I struggled to get anyone to sponsor me. So I went to South Africa and worked as a maid for six months. I was able to raise enough funds for me to start school. During that time, I was bitter at my parents and angry at God most of all. The why is this happening to me questions. And my relatives, I was mad at them for not lending me a helping hand. I felt alone and being far from home made it worse. I ended up finding comfort in the wrong places with the wrong people. As the word, as the, word, as the Bible says, bad company corrupts good morals. I engaged in sex and soon fell pregnant. I consulted the familiar faces around me and I knew that I knew at the time all the while fearing the situation at home knowing how my mom would have been frustrated with me being the only child who'd ever been educated uh, to the to the up, to upper 6 let alone going to college the people around me told me that the only way to get the only way out was to get rid of the baby and honestly i was more scared of my mom than i was of my maker i had an abortion Unfortunately, it wasn't a problem solver for me. As people, it wasn't a problem solver for me. As people make it seem like it is. In fact, it was the start of my misery. After the abortion, I never slept well at night, and every single time I saw a baby, I would literally see blood. I was depressed, and I remember being—I remember me being a Christian—that I knowingly made a decision in full knowledge that it was against God's word. The condemnation made it worse. I would attend church but my spirit was absent-minded. I would walk in and walk out of church without hearing anything. Every single time I would try to pray for forgiveness but the thoughts of having blood on my hands would overwhelm me. God being faithful and patient. One Sunday when our pastor was preaching, he mentioned that there was no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. I don't even remember the exact words he said, but I, it woke up my spirit, gave me a conviction of saying enough is enough, and that, I was, and that was the start of my walk to redemption. I started being intentional about, my, about getting my life aligned with the word of God. By the grace of God, the chains are broken, and I am delivered from the spirit of depression and all of the iniquities of my sinful past. I have now become a peer counselor at school, And I'm a children's church teacher. I also remember how at the ladies' retreat, Pastor asked me to share my testimony. I felt a deep sense of shame and guilt because of how God had blessed me in terms of my schooling. I still had that feeling of condemnation and not being worthy of sharing a word of testimony. I remember one of the speakers having a word of knowledge about abortion and how someone in the room might have had an abortion and was feeling condemnation and guilt. She encouraged us to come to the altar and receive our deliverance and our healing. I thank God I walked down to that altar and got prayed for. All I remember is feeling like something had been released from my chest and my mind too. The imprisonment I had felt was not there anymore. And since then I have had boldness to stand up in front of people and share my testimony. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, go ahead, give a hand. Can I read one more? Sazi is an intelligent, highly educated, and beautiful woman. She had a great job and plans for the future that involved travel and a career path that was shining to say the least. She had married her childhood sweetheart and they had a perfect son. (coughs) She literally had it all and was living out her dreams. What could go wrong? She had traveled for her job and was headed back to Harare. After a productive week of research, her car came to a stop at an intersection in a dimly lit area. Then the unthinkable happened. Four men pulled her from her car and dragged her into the dark, where they took turns raping and assaulting her for four hours. It seemed to her like a lifetime. When they had finished with her, they took her car and its contents and left her in a dark, wet ditch in the middle of an unsavory neighborhood. She was barely conscious and she could still smell the overpowering odors of the men and hear the mocking voices ringing in her head. She woke up in a hospital bed with a doctor standing over her and a feeling of such devastation she could hardly breathe as the images began to flood her mind over and over and over again. How would she move forward from this place? Months passed and the bruises healed, her mind began to find threads of peace to hold on to, and she imagined that with time, this would become a memory and nothing more. Ten weeks after the violation occurred, the unthinkable became a reality as she discovered she was pregnant. All counsel was to terminate the pregnancy, and that she was totally justified in doing so. And that there was really no other choice. Her husband gave her an ultimatum. Lose the baby or lose me. She lay on her bed the night before the scheduled procedure to end the life that was growing on the inside of her. And her heart cried out to God. A God she hardly knew. She cried for help. Cried for hope. Cried for something to end this nightmare of loss and devastation that seemed to have no end to it. She cried the deep, hard cries of a heart desperate to find a light in a dark and lonely tunnel. When she awoke the next morning, she had the strongest sense of calm she had known in months and was absolutely convinced that she could not and would not end the life of the child that was inside of her. She knew she could not keep this baby and raise it as her own, but as much as she would have wanted to, the memories were too much for that. The losses she experienced over the next months were unthinkable. A husband, a family who could not understand her choice and her resolve, and a community who mocked her and berated her for allowing the interruption to her career path. Somewhere in this crazy space of time, our paths connected and we shared hours together, talking, crying, discussing options, listening and praying to the giver of life for his direction and his grace. She told me she felt like she was carrying Samuel and that she was giving him back to the Lord, as it were. Hers was to give this baby life and to nurture him within her until he took his first breath. After that, she would trust God with his life and who would raise him. What a journey we walked together. She gave birth to a huge, beautiful baby who she never saw or held in her arms. I took him home from the hospital when he was 14 hours old, and he was adopted into a beautiful Christian family who loved Jesus and honored God and do honor God in all they do. Sazi's heart broke when she let her baby go. She suffered depression for months afterwards and was suicidal on several occasions. She has had a long and hard road to find a place of peace and wholeness again. But she has found that place and her faith is strong in him who watches over her life and that of the child she carried and gave birth and life to. These are pretty amazing stories. These aren't something you make up in a newspaper. These aren't something you make, these are stories of people right here in our community. And there's hundreds of them. This issue of abortion isn't just clinical. It's not just easy. It's not just a newspaper article. It's the very fabric and the life of our society. There's something very, very tangible when you start getting involved in people's lives. If you keep it clinical and you keep it out there and it's just a blob of skin, if, that, that's easy. But there's emotional trauma. There's psychological trauma. I've spoken to some of the psychologists and psychiatrists in our church and in the country. They're overwhelmed by the magnitude of this problem. There are spiritual traumas. There's social stigmas. but we're finding that we have an answer. It's not an easy answer. It's not a very easy answer for our culture. But in Zimbabwe, where we have 1.8 million AIDS orphans, and we have people suffering and thinking about aborting their babies, we have a solution. It's the church. It's you and I. It's our families. It's us. And we're finding out that the number one way of taking care of these children is not to put them in an orphanage, but to bring them into our homes. To foster them. To adopt them. To make them our own. To love them. We have a little video and a movement that we've kind of been a part of and that God is raising up in this country called I count, hashtag I count. And I would like you all to begin to comment on this because I think it's important that we understand that every life counts. Let's just show this video quickly.
3: Our culture is so family oriented, right? For me as not being part of the Shana culture, the extended family is incredible to me. Everybody's included, everybody's brought in. In Zimbabwe, family is anyone you love unconditionally.
2: In Zimbabwe, family is people who love you, who make you feel accepted, people who want to be with you, people who add value to, you know, to your life and who you add value to. I would say to her, you're missing out on so much, Um, but thank you for giving her to us. If I could meet the,
3: the first moms, I would, I would put my arms around them, I think, and I would just thank them for preserving the lives of their kids, for giving their kids a chance.
1: And then we have one more from a young man that's kind of, grown up in the church. I think he's lived at my house as much as he's lived in his own. I mean, he was an orphan, but my sons adopted him, and he just, well, he's my son, if you don't mind. I grew up in
4: Harare Children's Home. I got dropped off when I was a baby, never met my parents, never met any relatives, uncles, mom, dad, sister, brother. And so trying to deal with that um, later on in my life has been a challenge. But as a child, I had no idea. I just thought everybody could grow up with 100 plus kids around. And so that journey has been interesting.
1: Jeremiah says this. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures and we're going to close out here. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb. See, many people want to make this just a physiological thing, but God sees it as something much, much, much more. He knows you before you were formed. God has a beginning and an end. He has a hope and a future for every single life. We have to understand that. Because if it's not that, then we have some alternative truth. But that would be an inconvenient truth right now. The fact of the matter is that God himself fashions and forms people. We see in Psalm 106, verses 13 through 16, before it was you who formed, for it was you who formed my inward parts. This is, the, uh, this is the, uh, King or David talking. He says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. There's something about God seeing Long before you are ever born, he sees you in the intricacy of the, of the womb, in the intricacy of, of birth. Scientists tell us that he sees us in the intricacies of the DNA. Hmm. Judges 13, 1-7 through 7, talks about Samson. And listen to what it says. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. But there was a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, and he had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are, a bar- you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat any unclean anything unclean, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched with a razor, and the, boy's name, and the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb, from the womb. Why, why, would, why would God put such an emphasis on what's going on in the womb? He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me, and he looked like an angel of God, very awesome, I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other forbidden drink. and Do not eat anything unclean. Because the boy will be a Nazarite from God, from the womb, until the day of his death. Luke 13, let's just go quickly there. Luke 1, verse 13. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child, child left in her womb, the child, not the blob, not, not the some kind of mass of cells, left in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with joy with the, with the Holy, was filled with the Holy Ghost and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, Elizabeth at that time was about six months pregnant, and Mary had just conceived. And yet, Elizabeth is saying, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary cried back and says, as soon as the sound of your, or Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt inside of my womb, leapt for joy. See, God is in the business of life. In him there is no death at all. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, no shadow, no turning. He doesn't change. There is no death in God. God does not in any way ever condone death, ever. He hates death. Even the natural death of his saints, he says, is costly to him. John 10.10 says this. He says that... The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. So you can just roll some of those slides while I speak. I'm going to close now. What are we supposed to do? You know, as I pastor people and I think about some of the issues that we're wrestling to the ground in this country, I think we have a great opportunity. But it requires advocacy on our parts. It requires each and every one of us to become ambassadors. It also requires us to become honest about our own feelings, our own emotions. It requires us to become honest about maybe even some of the misconceived or misperceived things we had thought about abortion. Thinking that it was all right as long as we didn't see the baby, as long as, you know, or hey, let's get rid of a problem. But I think each and every one of us now, as believers in this nation, and especially of this church, this is the House of Reformation. This is a church where God has given us incredible power, incredible influence. And I think it's time for us to step out, speak out, and step out. We need to set up spiritual, psychosocial support for reproductive health crises. And we've done that in this church. Our goal is to preserve life, life life preservation, in line with what that scripture said, God came to give life. Our objective is providing a combination of biblically founded spiritual and psychosocial support for people, men and women, Affected by sexual abuse, abortion, and those who are in pregnancy crisis. Our aim is healing, redemption, and restoration in Christ. Isaiah said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. The way to strengthen Zimbabwe is to strengthen our families. The way to strengthen our families is to deal honestly and openly with the iniquities, the sins, and the issues that we face. This is not an easy task, but it's an important one. Our approach is to do some capacity building. This is a call for those of you in cell leadership and our departmental leaders, our pastors, to begin to become compassionate in our hearts. We want all of the men and women in the church that are professional counselors and those who are serving in counseling, psychiatrists, psychologists, and those who have been trained in in counseling, we'd like you to come forward and we're asking you to volunteer to help in this initiative we want to provide a provision of some kind of service, both prayer and counseling, or a place where people can come and be directed to professional counseling or professional care. We want to provide information. We want to give appropriate referrals. We want to help with adoption and fostering services. where requested. We want to give help to pregnancy crisis. If anyone needs help, if any of you are in a crisis, currently we have a counseling clinic here at the church that runs every Wednesday at the Borrowdale Church. If you'd like some form of help, if you'd like counseling, if you'd like to talk to someone, we have trained counselors, people that can help you. We'd like you to get a hold of Pastor Prisca on her WhatsApp. The number's on the screen. 772 546 Or you can book an appointment at our offices. We also have professional counselors. We're asking for you to come and get a hold of us as well. If you'll get a hold of Pastor Prisca if you'd like to volunteer in assisting people, this is a this is a, a mega need in our nation. People need help. Both men and women. Where can you get help? Well, first of all, you get help at churches. Unlike the testimony I read earlier where the little girl went to a church and there was nobody to help, I believe that all of our celebration churches should be in a position now to begin to direct you in the right way for help, amen? Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand, that's good. This isn't a perfect science. That doesn't mean we won't get somebody who does it wrong or doesn't do it right, but. We're going to make an effort to do it right. We're going to make a real effort to really touch people's lives. When it comes to adoptions and the relinquishment of babies, we have to do that through the Department of Social Welfare. But fortunately, they say that many, many Christians are involved with the Department of Social Welfare. We're able to direct where those children are going. Uh, There's a tremendous organization. Sue Austin, you saw her testimony earlier. Uh, She runs Kukosha. And uh, they give support for pregnant girls. Her number's on the screen. You can phone that number anytime, day or night. And she is one of those ladies that gets out of her house, leaves her family, takes her family with her. She's adopted, I think. I don't know. She's. I think she's trying to catch up with Danny Curl. I think she has eight that she's adopted or seven that she's adopted. Not only do we have Kokosha, but there's also the... Uh, Musasa Project. They also give support for the uh, for pregnant girls. So as I close today, I'd like Pastor Bonnie to come and just minister. I think if you can prophetically a little bit, just whatever in your heart. Has.
3: Let me live. Let me live. Please don't take my life. Let me live, let me live. No one has the right in God my future sure, my destiny secure, give me a chance. Let me breathe, let me live. Let me live. Let me live, please don't take my life Let me live, let me live, no one has the right My future is for sure My destiny's secure Give me a chance Give me a chance Give me a chance let me breathe, let me live.
1: Now we're going to open the altar to see this morning. Our pastors are going to be here. And uh, the altar is a place that we meet God. Some of you may want to come and talk to a pastor, pray with a pastor. Others of you may just wanna find a place and kneel down at an altar and say, hey, you know what? God, I'm gonna avail myself of your grace today. But we need to go to the altar on behalf of our church, the church at large, where we have neglected. Many times in the church, the most painful places in church because you're supposed to be holy and you fell, you failed, Instead of finding love, you find our judgment. And as the pastor of this church, I want to apologize if you've never, if you've felt like we've not received you in your sin, if we've not received you in your pain. Because that's not what we are. That's not what we should be. Maybe it is what we are sometimes. But Our society needs to begin to embrace those who are in such pain. We don't need to just legislate some simple answer. We need to take responsibility. We need to seek God's forgiveness for sacrificing children. We need to have men take responsibility for rejecting pregnancies, for rejecting babies and abandoning women. Men, we can't abandon women. God called us to protect them. Some of you have you think that somehow it's noble to have small houses noble to have children and then don't take care of them. Or somehow that it's more noble to destroy a life than to take responsibility for life. For women and girls, we need to seek forgiveness for justifying and rationalizing abortion. Society and the church, we have to take responsibility for stigmatizing women and girls who have children outside of wedlock in so doing, what we do is we legitimize or we make abortion an option. Let's not stigmatize. Mothers, grandmothers, fathers, grandfathers, this is the time to embrace our little girls. Yeah, they made a mistake. They, they may be rebellious, they may, but they still need our love. Here's one. Married women, married men, more and more we're seeing that because of the pressure of society, late Pregnancies, older men and women, because their unplanned pregnancies and inconvenience are getting abortions. There's data that shows increased numbers of married women are aborting their pregnancies because they're afraid that they can't afford it or that it's going to mess up retirement or mess up, hey, we're, we're just getting to be empty nesters, and now look at this. we got another responsibility. That's not the answer. As parents, we need to ask for forgiveness, for disowning, or threatening to disown or reject our daughters for pregnancy outside of wedlock. We should care for our daughters, for our girls, and our women. We need to do it with the love of Christ. We need to be accepting people, love them, receive them. Remember, and we close the service I want the altar to be open remember that Jesus took it to the cross Jesus paid for it all on the 28th of September is international day of they call it the international day of safe abortion there's no such thing as a safe abortion there's no such thing as a safe abortion the baby dies every single time it's not safe Pastor Bonnie ministers to us in song. I believe that there's a place at the altar for all of us, for each of us. And I believe that there's a place for the Holy Spirit will minister. And I want you to watch God do His work today.
0: Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.